I'm thrilled that I get to share some thoughts with you today about the doctrine of sanctification because this particular teaching that's woven throughout the Bible is packed full of hope. And it is the hope that we will change, we are being changed, we have been, we have been changed, we are being changed, and we will change. You know, one of the evidences that we get to see as a church body about change in people's lives is when we celebrate uh, the sacrament of baptism. And I particularly love those Sundays because I love hearing people's testimonies. And when they begin to tell what the Lord has done, it's like a little, oh, like a two-minute movie of their lives. <laughs> they tell us about who they were before they knew the Lord, then they tell us about how God called them to himself and opened their eyes and they repented and received him. And then they show some evidence about who they are becoming. And that's just thrilling. It's in two minutes we get to see, look what you've done, God. And there's one Sunday back in the fall that's particularly vivid in my mind. I don't know if you all remember this or not. We should remember every baptism, shouldn't we? Uh, not when you, you know, when you get a little bit older, you don't hold all that in your brain. But this one stands out to me. Uh, three people had been presented for baptism, and one of them was Brad and Aaron Wheeler's daughter, Eliza. Do you, does anybody remember that? Well, anyway, she, as she was giving her testimony, the angle that I was sitting at, I could see Brad and Aaron just right there. I had a view of them. Y'all, they were they were just like this. They were wiggling in their seats. I thought they were going to stand up and shout hallelujah, but they maintained their Baptist decorum and they stayed seated in their seats, but they were visibly moving as she told about what God had done in her life. And so after she finished, Brad walked up to the pulpit and he stood there as he does, and you think he's getting ready to begin his sermon, and all of a sudden he goes, God is in the business of changing people. You know, he was grinning from ear to ear. That's the most charismatic I've ever seen the man in my life. He could not hold it in. And in the moment that he blurted out, God is in the business of changing people. I think there were several things that were happening inside of him. Now, I haven't talked to him about this. This is just my observation. Number one, he was a proud daddy. He was busting with joy that his daughter has been redeemed and that God had changed her. And so it was just an expression of a dad who just couldn't get over what God had done. Second of all, I think he was a child of God worshiping. It would almost like we weren't even there. And he was saying, God, look what you've done. You've changed her. And it was just an act of worship between him and his Lord. And then, Brad being who Brad is, he's a teacher. And so when he made that statement, God is in the business of changing people, that was a theological statement that says to us, as we were witnesses there, that real change, the kind of change that happens on the inside and then it gets worked out, is a work of God. God is in the business of changing people. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about change. The Bible uses words like, transform, grow, mature, and then the big theological word that the Bible uses and we're going to use today is sanctification. Sanctification simply means set apart. It means set apart 
from sin and set apart to God. And so we're going to unpack all that gradually. We're going to be looking at Scripture, and we're going to try to put some skin on it, what it looks like in real life. And there's two questions that we want to answer in these next, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes. The first one is, what exactly is sanctification? We want to talk about it a little bit more depth. And then, how in the world does it happen? Is it some kind of magic wand that God just says, and now you are changed? Yes and no. And it's not magic, it's divine, okay? So those are the two things that we're going to talk about. And I hope that, number one, if you are not persuaded that God changes people, that by the time you leave, you will be persuaded that God is in the business of changing people. And if you do believe it, that you will be strengthened and encouraged. God is in the business of changing people. God is in the business of sanctifying his own. So let's just start this way. uh, Baker's Theological Dictionary says that the most generic meaning of the word sanctification is the state of proper functioning. The state of proper functioning. So to sanctify a person or to sanctify a thing in the Old Testament, things were set apart. It means to set them apart. Now listen to this. For the intended use as the designer designed that thing to be. You've been set apart to be used in the way that the designer intended. Now that's generic, the state of proper functioning, but let's think about that biblically now. And to do that, you need to go back to the garden, which is where everything has its root, isn't it? You go back to the garden. But in the garden, God created Adam and Eve in his image in his likeness. Man, people, are different from all the rest of creation in the, in the fact that we were created like God. And that means that we are personal beings. We are relational. We can relate to each other. It means that we're moral beings. We have intellect. We can understand right from wrong. And we're spiritual beings. We have a soul We will live forever. And so we are like God. We're made in his image. And before the fall, Adam and Eve were sinless. And so they functioned properly. (laughs) They reflected the image of God as they were designed to do. And then we come to chapter 3. And the fall comes. Sin enters. Adam and Eve now have a sin nature. And that sin mars the image of God. It's distorted so that they no longer function the way God created them to function. And here's the horrible part. They were totally incapable of reversing that. They had no power. And so if any kind of change was going to happen, God was going to need to step in and take care of it. And praise the Lord, he did. Because his eternal plan was to send his son. And his son would pay for the sin. He would die for the sin and pay the penalty of sin. And then he would be resurrected, breaking the power of sin. So that those who would, from Adam and Eve on, from those who would repent of their sin and place their faith in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you would be saved from both the penalty... And the power of sin. 
And when that power of sin is broken, all of that is part of this gradual process of being recreated into the image of God. You are in the image of God. It's been marred, and now he's going to recreate it so that you look like Jesus. Let's think about a biblical definition. Let's look. I want you to look on your handout. I think it's on the, in, in the middle part, our statement of faith, our UBC statement of faith about sanctification. And I want you to look at that first sentence with me. It says, sanctification is both the declaration that we are holy. Now look at that, the declaration that we are holy on the basis of Christ's imputed righteousness, and it is the process by which, according to the will of God, we are made partakers of his holiness. You are holy, and it's a process, okay? So I want to make three observations from that statement of faith. Number one is that sanctification is God's will for every single Christian. It is God's will that every person who is in Christ, become more and more like him and become more and more free from sin. 1 Thessalonians 4.3a. If you're jotting down uh, references, there's one for you. 1 Thessalonians 4.3a says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God saves sinners not just to keep us out of hell, which is a fabulous thing that he does for us, But his salvation restores what sin has destroyed. And so, first of all, he restores our fellowship with him. But then there's this process where he restores that distinctive image of himself, which is holiness. That's really what it is. It's holiness. So that's the first observation. It's his will. But also, so let's follow that. Sanctification is sharing in Christ holiness. Catherine, I think you prayed this today, or you used this language, Romans 8, 29. Either you said it, or Erica said it, but that verse reads, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, here it is, conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Sanctification is God's eternal plan That you, as a believer, be conformed, that you be transformed, that you be recreated into the image of Jesus Christ. The image that's been marred by sin is going to be recreated into the image of his son. You are sanctified um, as a whole person. There are not just pieces of you that are sanctified. You're sanctified in your will. In in your desires, in your heart, you're sanctified in intellect, you're sanctified in your emotions, you're sanctified in your behavior. He changes us thoroughly in order to be like Jesus. The third point I want to make from this, um, from our statement of faith, and I want to spend some time here, is the fact that you have been declared and you are in the process. So it's the already and the not yet. That the, the Bible uses language, you have been sanctified, and then it says you are being sanctified. And actually, the Bible speaks of sanctification in three tenses, in past, in present, 
and in future. And Emily, will you share that slide? This is a, a chart that Wayne Grudem, um, a book that I treasure, I don't know, Bible's number one book, and Wayne Grudem might be number three. I love, uh, it's, um, what is it, Essential Doctrines of the Faith? I can't remember the, the exact title of it. Oh, it's up there. Okay. That, might, that would be worth adding to your library if you don't have that. But this is a chart in his book when he's teaching on sanctification. And so I want to follow that as we think about past, present, and future sanctification. So there is a point, you see, where you, there was a point where you were, you could not be sanctified <laughs> because you are ruled by sin. You have a sin nature. You're ruled by sin. And there was no sanctification happening because you didn't have any power to change. But there is a point when sanctification happens. Um, Hebrews 10.10. 10. Hebrews 10.10. 10. And by that will, here it is, we have been sanctified, past tense. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We had a, our sanctification has a starting point. God's work of changing you began at your regeneration. Now, that chart calls it conversion. Conversion is regeneration, an effectual call, your repentance and faith and justification. It all gets wrapped up there together. But your sanctification started when God resurrected your dead spirit he regenerated you from the dead what was inside and he gave you a new heart I have a friend who says and he gave me a new want to you know before you didn't want to you didn't have a desire for God you felt no accountability to him and maybe you felt bad every now and then but there was no want to to follow God and all of a sudden he gives you a new want to and so by his spirit, he opened your mind and your heart to hear and understand and believe the gospel. And that's when you repented because you understood he died, Christ died for you, and he was resurrected guaranteeing you new life. And at that point, God justified you. That's what Haley talked about just a couple of weeks ago, that in justification, he, declare, he declares you not guilty. And you're forgiven because Jesus paid the penalty. There's nothing else to be paid. And then he declares us righteous. He declares us holy because he takes Christ's righteousness and he just wraps you up all in it. And so in him, you are righteous. Theologians say you are positionally sanctified. You look like Jesus because he has made you look like that. And so that's that starting point up there. You are positionally sanctified at that point you've been set apart from sin and you have set apart to live been set apart to live a life for Christ, for God because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ now if we were just to stop right there and say well hallelujah I have been sanctified about two seconds later you will start to ask the question well then why do I keep struggling with sin and so the Bible answers that question. Our statement of faith helps to answer it as well. And it is because you are not only sanctified positionally, you are sanctified progressively. There is a present tense to our sanctification. Four verses later in Hebrews chapter 10, this is verse 14, the writer wrote, 
For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So you have been sanctified by the blood of Christ and you are being sanctified by the blood of Christ. So can I get a hallelujah from you right now? Because if you are a Christian, you are being sanctified. You're in the process of being changed. You're in the process of being transformed. And that, you know, our, the, second state, the second sentence in our statement of faith there says that it is progressive sanctification. So throughout the life, your lifetime as a Christian, we are making progress. We're moving forward. And we're doing that by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that progress that we are making is that we are becoming more and more conformed to the image of Christ. But it also must include becoming more and more free from the power of sin. But thank goodness that is what the gospel does for us. The gospel does something for us. And it does something in us. When Christ died on the cross, he paid your sin penalty. That's what the gospel does for you. The penalty has been paid. But ladies, when he broke out of that tomb, he broke the power of sin. That's what the gospel does in you. Sin's power is broken. Um, Annette, when you read Romans 6, if you've got your Bible open at Romans 6, I'm looking at verse 6. Romans 6, 6, ESV, the language is. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The body of sin would be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. The CSB says it like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that, I love this language, the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that you no are no longer enslaved to sin. And then the New Living Translation, love this, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. In reality, if you are in Christ, the sin nature below the line no longer dominates you. It has no dominion over you. You are no, you can, are no longer enslaved to sin because all the sin has been rendered powerless. And Romans uh, 6 tells us that we can walk in newness of life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he said, you're a new creation. You're not the same old girl that you used to be because Christ has broken the power of sin. Now, we need to remember that this breaking, the breaking of the power of sin is that like that. And we live into it as a process, okay? You see that jagged line up there? Now, it's an upward movement, but it's jagged. There are dips. We don't always choose righteousness we have the power to choose righteousness but we don't always choose righteousness there are days sometimes it is hour by hour that we take three steps forward and two steps back but in Christ there is forgiveness all right and then there is the power to say no to sin 
and yes to righteousness. You know, Paul, Paul never said, and now you will never sin again because you have been redeemed. But what he did say is, the body of sin that once controlled you has been rendered powerless, and now you can choose to live in righteousness. He said you will no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, girls, that's something we're shouting about right there. I have been changed, and I can and will be changed, you know? We're going to talk about how that change happens exactly in just a minute, but you have been sanctified past positionally, and you are being sanctified. You are progressively being sanctified And the truth is, there's one day when you will be completely and permanently sanctified. That's future. 1 John 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. If you and I die before Christ returns, we will be immediately in the presence of Christ. And do you know what it means to be in his presence? You are not in the presence of sin. All sin is removed in his presence. How glorious is that? That all the lures, the things that entice us, all of that is removed. And then the day that he returns... He'll bring us our resurrected bodies, and we will be totally glorified. We will be like him, his image totally restored in us. We'll be who we were supposed to be from the very beginning. Emily's going to help us with that next month when she talks about the doctrine of glorification. But for now, rest assured that by the gospel, we are promised that we have been sanctified, we are are being sanctified and one day we will be sanctified god is in the business of changing people and the fact that he works change that he sanctifies us what assurance that gives us in the life that we're living right now you will be changed that gives hope right there As you just kind of think about those three tenses, you look at that chart, where do you see yourself up there? (laughs) Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that nobody has been completely or permanently sanctified, you know. We're in this room and we're all still breathing, and so we're not there yet. But I'm wondering if some of you, if there might be even one person that's looking at that chart and say, I'm not even on the road. Well, I have good news for you. God is in the business of changing people. And he does it through his son who paid for your sin and was raised defeating sin and death in order to give you eternal life. And the question is, how will you respond? Today's the day to respond, to confess your sin and receive him and start that lifelong journey, that upward jagged line that keeps going on up. Today is the day that you can be positionally sanctified. And for those of you who are Christians, I would say to you, we're all somewhere right up there on that jagged line. Those little dips mark the days that we just say, I don't want to do that. I don't care. 
I'm tired. Today I feel apathetic or indifferent. This is too much. And we dip below. But you know what the great thing is? This doctrine tells us that I can never say, I will never change. This is just the way I am. I'll just be impatient the rest of my life. And you're just going to have to love me for it. No. He has defeated sin and death. And we are free in his power to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. That is really, really, really good news. Thank goodness. He, that's his business. And he takes us step by step. Rarely is it even a giant step. It's, all, it's typically baby steps. And so we can rejoice over that. And all because of what Christ has done for us. Okay, you have been changed, you are being changed, you will be changed, and how in the world does that happen? How does this change take place? I think we can, uh, I hope that we can all agree, it's not just uh, gutting it out and saying, well, by golly, I'm going to stop being impatient today. Trey, my husband, coaches basketball, and I've heard him say that, you know, in a timeout, in a crucial timeout, if you coach calls timeout and he looks at his boys and he'll say, get out there and try harder, you know, just like that. Like, what good does that do? He says it's just about like saying, now go out there and be taller. You know, nobody can just instantly grow themselves. That's a work that has to happen over time and often it has to come from outside and then get worked out. And that's what happens with sanctification. Uh, Emily David Pallison's slide, is that up there? Good. David Pallison, that's one of the books that was given out today of how does sanctification work. I read, I was tremendously helped by some of his articles. There was a, two articles on how does sanctification work, part one, part two. And this came out of part two. And that's what I want to talk about is how does God go about producing that in our lives? And even this, this little chart, this little picture is very helpful. Uh, he, he lists five factors that typically are inter, all interwoven, and you almost can't pull them apart, <laughs> that work together to produce godly change. And I want you to notice the foundation is that God himself changes us, Okay. So that's the foundation. The roof, the overarching means that God uses to change us is the word, scripture. The supporting walls are people who love the Lord that are walking with you, wise people. And then, believe it or not, suffering. That's not the, we don't want to talk about that one. We don't talk about Bruno. Yeah, we don't talk about suffering. And then there you are living in the house. And you're part of the process, too. So let's, let's see what he... Let's, I want to share just some thoughts that uh, David Pallison helped me to get my mind wrapped around. So first and, and foremost, God himself changes us. And the truth is, if he doesn't do that first, none of the other four will have any kind of effect on us. Because apart from Christ, you can read the word all day and it won't make a lick of sense to you. So it's foundational that God be the one to change us. Let me share a couple of passages with you that just, these are just some that I just like to sit and read and think about a lot. The prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. 
the prophet wrote. This is God speaking, actually. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. A new heart and a new spirit. Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12b to 13. Paul wrote, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now here it is. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. To will, that's the heart. And to work, that's the obedience. God, if you are in Christ, God has given you a new heart. He's given you new desires. He's given you that new want to. And he has given you the Holy Spirit, that that is his spirit, the spirit of Jesus that's living in you permanently. And the NIV, in that Ezekiel verse, he says, I will give you a new spirit. And he says, and I will move you to obey me. He moves you forward to obey you. He empowers you. He enables you to obey. The spirit is the one who convicts of sin so that you can repent. He's the one who teaches He's the one who guides. He's the one who produces the very fruit of the Spirit so that you look like Jesus. And it's not just that you look like him. It's the very life of Jesus in you that begins to be worked out of you. I have just the sweetest illustration, if you'll let me talk about my grandchildren for just a few minutes, about what it means for God to change a heart. Um, Jill Holland is nine. She's one of the triplets. She's a little bit sassy. This is totally a sidebar. This is her personality. She was writing a book report back in the fall on Amelia Earhart, and it was a book report she was going to have to give it as a speech. Jill Holland's a sharp girl, and, uh, but she was having trouble kind of organizing, and so I was with her, and I said, well, let's pick out three things that are really important, and kind of helped walk her through, but she wrote the thing. And after she got done, she put her pen down, she looked at me, she said, KK, you have got to live until I graduate from high school because you have to help me with all of my reports. <laughs> so that's just kind of, and I was thinking, well, thank you for giving me eight more years of life. I appreciate that. <laughs> so she's a little bit sassy, and she had the habit of biting her nails. And let me just tell you, trumbos and cangeloses like to get our nails done. So when the girls come, we all go get our nails done. And she goes, but she doesn't have the thrill that everybody else does because she bites her nails. And so it was back in the fall one day, she came up to me and she goes, just like that. And I saw that little white nail on each of her fingers. And she goes, I've stopped biting my nails. And I said, Jill Holland, that is wonderful. I said, how did God help you do that? And she kind of went, he just took it out of my mind. What a profound truth. Now, immediately then, she wanted a popsicle. You know, we were done at that point. But he just took it out of my mind. That's a different heart that has a different desire that doesn't want this. It wants this. And so I'm not going to tell you that the girl doesn't struggle with that anymore. But he gave her steps forward on her jagged upward line right there. Isn't that just precious? That's precious.
God changes us. And then God uses his word to change us. He speaks truth. He speaks his truth through his word. So as we read his word, as we hear it read, as we hear it, hear it preached and taught, as we meditate on his word, what happens is the spirit in us, the spirit takes the word and makes it come alive. It's the spirit that takes the word and says, you don't know this, but this is a sin in your life. I grew up in a home where my mama worried about everything. Now, her mama worried about everything, and her sisters worried about everything. And I grew up thinking that if you are a mother, that is an act of love to worry about your child. And then, as an adult, in a Bible study, I read, Do Not Worry. And I began to understand that that was a heart issue and a trust issue. The Spirit takes the Word and shows you this is sin in your life and we're about to do some change here. The Word of God meets you at the place where you have the deepest pain, the deepest grief, the greatest fear. Recently, I was reading in Psalm 69 and I came across this verse which was incredibly comforting, 6913. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me with your saving faithfulness. When you are afraid, when you're alone, when you are grieving and you can't get rid of it, and you come across that kind of word, and the Spirit takes it and says, He is a God of steadfast love. He is faithful, and at the exact moment, He's going to answer your prayer. That's when you go, oh, thank you. The Word of God changes us as He speaks to us. Here's the one I think that's the craziest. Wise people change us. <laughs> now think about that. We're all progressively being trans, uh, uh, sanctified. We're all on that jagged line that was up there somewhere. And God uses people that he's changing to help other people that he's changing to change. And he's given us the church. And specifically, he's given us the local church. I know you have girlfriends that go to other churches. I do. I have dear friends but here is a body of people who are all longing to be transformed into the image of Christ. And we walk alongside of each other and help each other grow. It happens during corporate worship. It happens in life group. It happens around a table in a Bible study. It happens on the telephone. It happens through a text. It happens in a coffee shop when a sister just sits there and listens to you. And then maybe she might say, well, I... I read this verse this week. This might help. Or she stops and prays for you, with you at that moment. And by golly, she prays something you have never even thought about praying. And you leave there, and God does something in that process. Sometimes people say things, and they don't even know that they have been the voice of God to you. The reason I have such a vivid memory of Brad on that Sunday of when Eliza was baptized, the reason I have that vivid memory of him saying God is in the business of changing people is because God used that 
to speak to something very specific in my life. At that time, and still now, there is a young couple in my life that's struggling for a variety of reasons. Many things have happened, and they're just at a hard, hard place. And their struggle has made me sad, and it's made me angry, and it's made me afraid. And so at that time, back in the fall, I was really wrestling with God about Okay, first of all, why don't you change them? And then tell me what you want me to do so that I can go change them. Because quite frankly, from where I sit, I know exactly what needs to happen in their lives. And then the other crazy thing about that was that week before Brad said that, I had been reading John 2, Transforming the Water into Wine, which is just tomorrow. Yeah, And I had read a commentary on it. And in the little short commentary I read, two different times there was a statement that says, God is in the business of transformation. Twice. And then on Sunday, he stands up there, not because it was on his sermon manuscript, but because he couldn't hold it in and said, God's in the business of changing people. And I'm telling y'all, it was like a light from heaven that came down on me. And I almost heard God say, I'm going to tell you for the third time, (laughs) I will produce the change in this couple's life that needs to be made. And you pray for them, and you love them. And it it lifted that day. And I don't know that Brad knows that. But God used spontaneous shouts of praise to lift a burden that I had in my heart. God is in the business of changing people. Ladies, we need each other. Sanctification is not an individual activity. We need, we need each other in order to grow. Suffering and hardships changes, the one that we don't want to talk about. Hard things in life, the kinds of things that happen that you can do little or absolutely nothing about, those are the things that have a way of stripping away from us this imagined independence that we think we have. And it just puts us flat out saying, God, I can't do anything without you. It shows us how dependent we are on him. You know, when a marriage is falling apart and you've tried everything and it feels hopeless, or I think about Haley Myers every time Emmy has a seizure or your husband is part of the downsizing at work or somebody that you know and love dies. And there is nothing that you can do. That has a way of, it puts a pressing on our hearts that presses us into the Lord. And that's where we cry out things like, at an acceptable time, in the abundance of your steadfast love, God, answer me in your faithfulness. And ladies, that's where we can experience like just some of the sweetest most beautiful, various ways of God producing change. And rarely is it, well, I'm just going to take this all away from you. No, it's not that. It's through his word and it's through his people that he comes and he meets us and he changes us. And then finally, we live in the house. We change. We trust him. And we obey him. We trust the gospel 
He has paid the penalty of sin. He has broken the power of sin. We have a new nature. We have the spirit living in us. And so by faith, we just take a step of obedience. I loved Sunday when Brad said, we don't follow a set of rules. We follow a person and his name is Jesus. We just walk with him. And he says, okay, we're going to take a step right here. Okay, Jesus, I'm coming with you. And it just, it, things happen like all of a sudden you recognize that you are very impatient. And you actually repent. God, I, I'm sorry. Will you help me? And then you ask for help from God. You ask for help from other people to hold you accountable. And you begin to read and think about God's word and talk about God's word with other people. And then the amazing thing is a week later, you remember what you read and it affects the decision that you make. You find that you're less attracted to some old sin habits. Or maybe they're just all gone because, you know, God just took it out of your mind. Your words that used to be harsh now have a gentleness to them. And all of that is really the life of Christ being worked out of you as you are more and more free from sin. It is partaking of his holiness. It's the recreation of his image that was marred in you. And all of this is happening on that jagged upward trajectory of life that finally leads to the day that we will meet the one who worked all of the change in us. It's beautiful. God is in the business of changing people. God's in the business of sanctifying his own. And that's about the best news I've heard in a while. He's at work setting you apart from sin, freeing you more and more from the lure of sin and apart to himself, making you more and more like Jesus. Do you perceive that in your own life? Can you look back over your life as a believer and recognize some of those ways that God has worked and he's produced, maybe just baby steps, but maybe it's been like a thousand baby steps that's produced a whole lot of change in you. That's one of the questions on your sheet to reflect on today is how have you seen him use these steps and whether you know here's a place to start thinking about that but I just want to encourage you spend some time today thinking about it remembering who you used to be not because that's where oh this is who I used to be no but out of gratitude that he has made you into a different woman by the power of the Holy Spirit and as he reminds you of those things Spend some time worshiping. You can have your own Brad Wheeler session saying, God, look what you've done. I didn't do this. You did this in me. Share it with somebody. How encouraging could that be? That's not a highlighting, oh, look how much I've changed. That's highlighting, look what God has done. And then even ask him to point out to you someone who may be discouraged in their own sanctification. That God might use you, a progressively sanctified person, to walk with that progressively sanctified person in order to encourage her. And the real encouragement is, 
point her back to Jesus because he's the one who does the change. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, what a grand plan of salvation that you had in eternity past and that you are working out right now. It's just unfolding before our eyes. We are living it. I praise you for the work of Jesus Christ, his submission to you to take on our filthiness on the cross and to pay the sin debt that would free us from our penalty and from the power of sin and one day even from the very presence of sin. God, would you stir in the heart and mind of every woman here uh, ways, maybe just one or two, that you have done a work of sanctification in her life. And I pray that it would fill her with joy and that she would be, have a public platform in some way, one-on-one -on -one or a whole bunch of people, to sing your praises and declare that you're in the business of changing people. And it's in your name I ask it. Amen.